0: One of the more irritating leftist tropes to emerge in the last year has been the rise of Fearless Girl, a hedge fund-sponsored bronze statue of a small girl standing defiantly in front of the Wall Street bull, which would presumably trample her to death if both figures were real. Now, a democratic politician after democratic politician has come forward to pay homage to this bronze calf. First it was New York Mayor Bill de Blasio who criticized Wall Street, the same Wall Street that erected the annoyingly stupid icon. Now it's Senator Elizabeth Warren, who took a break from writing shrimp recipes for Native American cookbooks to demonstrate that she too cares about metal effigies erected by disproportionately male investment firms and uh, you know the the, the picture is pretty amazing she particip- she did persist in irritating the rest of us Warren of course, has been one of the lead Democratic voices in favor of so-called pay equality between men and women, ignoring all statistical evidence that the pay gap does not actually exist when all relevant factors are taken into account. Worth noting, Warren's female staffers earned 71% less than her male staffers did last year. Only one of Warren's top staffers earns more than $100,000 $100, and was female. But this is all virtue signaling, of course. The notion is that if you don't stand in solidarity with a little girl against a giant bull, you must hate women and children. Somebody ought to inform Warren, another leftist, that the little girl was once an unborn little girl, and Warren would then presumably stand with the bull. I'm Ben Shapiro, this is The Ben Shapiro Show. righty, tons to get to today. Lots of foreign policy news. I feel like every time I take off a couple of days, the world just reaches a new level of chaos, and so it is and so it shall be. Uh, plus, in just a few minutes, we're going to be having on Lauren Southern, who, of course, is uh, a well-known right-wing commentator from Canada, and she was at the Berkeley riots. Again, Berkeley does not seem like a nice place. Uh, all, all these friendly hippies are not that friendly, and so we'll talk about that Starting to look like the Weimar Republic out there. But first, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Helix Sleep. So, now, I am not somebody who sleeps well. I require a very comfortable mattress and wonderful sheets. Helix Sleep provides the very, very comfortable mattress. It's helixsleep.com slash Ben. The way this works, you go to helixsleep.com slash Ben. You get $50 off your order, but they also will ask you your height, your weight, your body type. Do you like to sleep on your stomach or your side? And they use an algorithm, proprietary algorithm, to determine what kind of mattress will work best for you. And then they send it to your house The shipping is free. They send it to your house. And if you don't like it, you have 100 nights to try it out, and then you can send it right back. Helix customers report 30% improvement in overall sleep quality. My wife and I had a much more expensive mattress, actually, and we moved it out of the room in favor of the Helix mattress because the Helix mattress is so comfortable. It's helixsleep.com slash Ben. You get $50 off your order. Again, it comes in a big box. You just Unroll the box and it inflates automatically because it's a foam mattress. Uh, It's really comfortable. Unlike a lot of other foam mattresses, you can get ones that really breathe well, so it doesn't feel like you're you're in a kiln. Uh, And uh, yeah, I I really like the mattress a lot. So does my wife. I can't recommend it highly enough. Plus, it's no risk to you because if you hate it, then you can always send it back uh, for for free. So that's great. It's helixsleep.com/slash/ben. Helixsleep.com/slash/ben. Fifty dollars off your order. I promise you won't hate it. You'll actually like it a lot. It's fantastic product. Okay, so. Lots going on in the world. Among the things that are going on in the world, uh, the the Trump administration uh, continues to kind of futz around on foreign policy, and we'll talk about that. But first I want to talk about the fallout that happened from this election in the Georgia 6th District last night. So Georgia 6th District is a district that I think Trump won by a relatively small margin. He won it by 1.5 or 2 percent because there's been some redistricting there. There has been some significant movement in that district over time. Four years ago, Barack Obama lost that district by 23 percent to Mitt Romney. So this particular district last night, there was a there was a runoff because Tom Price was the representative from that district. And now Tom Price is the secretary of Health and Human Services. So his name John Ossoff. He's a Democrat. He doesn't even live in the district. And he ran against a slew of Republicans. I think there were 11 Republicans. And the idea was that if he crosses 50% in this original election, then he wins the seat outright. If he doesn't cross 50%, there's a runoff. If there's a runoff, he likely loses because it's a heavier Republican district. So Democrats poured a crap load of money into this district. They poured $8.3 million into this local special election, trying to demonstrate that they were going to fight back against the Trump administration. And that was a giant fail. So the candidate, John Ossoff, won about the same percentage in the district as Hillary Clinton won in the district. He came up just short. One of the reasons he came up just short is because he doesn't actually live in the district and that came out a couple of days before the actual election. Now that's not illegal, but obviously most people who vote for their congressperson like to know the person actually lives where they, where they represent. Here was Ossoff yesterday trying to explain why he doesn't live in the home district.
1: Well I grew up in this district, I grew up in this community, it's my home, my family is still there. I'm a mile and a half down the street to support Alicia while she finishes medical school. Um, it's something I've been very transparent about. In fact, I'm proud to be supporting her career. And as soon as she finishes her medical training, I'll be 10 minutes back up the road into the district where I grew up.
0: Okay. So that explanation did not really do a lot for him. Uh, He's not going to win the general election in all likelihood, because again, now all the Republican votes are going to consolidate. He won, I think 46%, 47% of the vote last night. Uh, all all of that, all that Republican support is going to now rally around uh, a woman I actually know pretty well, Karen Handel, uh, who used to be an executive at, uh, at Homan for the Cure, uh, the, the anti-cancer institute. Uh, she has been the Georgia Secretary of State before. She ran unsuccessfully for governor in the past. A really nice lady. Uh, very, very Quality politician. She's not somebody who gets enthusiasm up high, but she will do the work that she needs to do, and she'll probably win. That's why Asaf yesterday, after he did not win outright, he was out there touting it as a victory for the ages. the The entire Democratic Party is now trying to overstate how big a victory this was for them because he didn't win. So now they're trying to say that he that he just blew it out of the water, and this is just what's to come under Trump. That the Democrats are going to win back the House. Here is Asaf overstating his case.
1: There is no doubt that this is already. A victory for
0: the ages. Thermopylae or what? I mean, victory for the ages. Let's not overstate the case, dude. You couldn't win an election in which there were a combined, looks like, less than 200,000 votes. I'm going to go with that's not a victory for the ages, especially if you don't end up with the congressional seats. Most of the people who talk about moral victories are losers. If you're talking about moral victory, it's because you didn't win. So, there are some troubling signs for Republicans here. The the most troubling sign for Republicans in the Georgia 6th, to be accurate, is that the Democratic turnout was down from the general election cycle, but it wasn't down nearly as much as it was down among Republicans. So, if you look at the Georgia 6th or the Kansas 4th, Kansas 4th District uh, was another case where there was a special election. Republicans won that one, too. But the Democratic turnout was down 25% from the Hillary election in this district in the special election. The Republican turnout out was down 51% from the last election cycle in this election. So in other words, twice as many Republicans as Democrats by percentage dropped out of this election cycle. Uh, And that's not going to bode well for midterms because obviously Democrats are going to be more geared up for all of this. It's a little early to say that this just demonstrates that, that Trump is not hurting people down ballot. In fact, The the number of candidates who ran in this Georgia 6th district, the people who are more closely tied with Trump, there is a heavy correlation between being closely tied with Trump and not doing particularly well in this election cycle. But it's not clear what's going to happen in 2018 based on this. Democrats raised an enormous amount of money. As I said, They, they, they put forward a huge, huge amount of cash in this election, and they still weren't able to get this guy over the top. You know, it's going to be a good Democratic year, but is it going to be a good enough Democratic year to put them over the top? I don't know that that's the case. And the, the media in search of some sort of victory are, of course, overstating this dramatically. Don Lemon uh, at CNN, he says that John Ossoff, he just saw him, John Ossoff. He looks like he looks like the, the guy from Ferris Bueller, who's not Ferris Bueller, the guy who drives his dad's Porsche out the window. Hey, Don Lemon says he sounds like Obama.
2: Uh, so that was John Ossoff in a uh, very tight race down in Atlanta. He's uh, projecting that's going to be a runoff. Am I the only one who said... He sounded like Barack Obama, no? Did that sound like Barack Obama? Yes, he did. did. (laughs) Universally, he said yes. I
0: guess, you know, he figured it
3: worked for him. Yes, we can,
1: John (laughs) Osweiler, yes
0: we can. Everybody on CNN Celebratory, after not getting what they want here, it is amazing that uh, that he raised that much money. And again, he raised that much money and it still didn't help him. That, that looks a lot like what happened with Hillary Clinton, who raised an enormous amount of money and it didn't help her against Trump. But there are some warning signs for Republicans and Republicans would be wise to pay attention to those warning signs. Now, meanwhile... Over the weekend, I didn't have a chance to discuss it, obviously, because it was Passover. Um, but over the weekend, there was this riot that, that occurred in Berkeley. Basically, there was a pro-Trump rally in Berkeley. The only reason to have a pro-Trump rally in Berkeley is to stick it to the left in Berkeley, obviously. And a bunch of anti-Trump Antifa characters, these are the, the people who consider themselves anti-fascist. There's nothing more fascist than showing up to an opposing rally and then wailing on people and beating the living crap out of them. It's actually pretty reminiscent of the Weimar Republic, where the Reds and the Browns were beating the living crap out of each other. Uh, and that actually led to the rise of a more dictatorial authoritarian government that's usually what happens when there's chaos people want more authority in order to tamp down on chaos because nobody wants to see this in their streets apparently the cops were sitting by and doing nothing as all of this continued here's a little bit of the footage from what was happening uh, during this during this b- bloody battle basically
4: Give me the oh,
0: shit. Shit. I think you can see people beating each other with sticks you can see that they're really going at each other uh, really hitting each other, people punching each other, running in, duking it out. Uh, there are pictures of people who are super bloody. There are pe- pictures of people uh, who have been you know, hit across the face. And it wasn't the Trump people who started this. It wasn't the Trump people who went there looking to fight it out with Antifa. It's a, you can always tell who the bad guys are. Now they're stomping on a guy. Look at this it's mean, disgusting. Hitting people with skateboards. Really, really horrifying. You can always tell who the bad guys are in these situations. The people who are, who are wearing the masks are the bad guys. If you feel the need to wear a mask because you're afraid that people are going to pay attention to you, see who you are, and arrest you, then uh, you are part of the problem, not part of the solution. Uh, this was a, a free speech rally, so people were doing this in order to demonstrate that they would stand up against the Antifa, the, the Antifa group. Uh, and, uh, and the Antifa people showed up And they were beating people. Uh, One of the people there pulled not only a skateboard, but then pulled a knife. Uh, Apparently somebody was stabbed. I mean, just egregious, egregious stuff. And where are the cops for all of this? Why are the cops allowing all of this stuff to go ahead? Uh, nobody knows. why. Where? Where is the mayor? I mean, this is now the second time that this has happened in Berkeley in a relative span of months. Actually, it's the, the third time, if I remember correctly. There's a rally uh, that, that that broke into violence here. There's one that broke into violence in Sacramento at the Capitol in California. And then there is, of course, the riot that broke out when Milo Yiannopoulos went to speak over there. Well, joining us on the program right now is Lauren Southern. Lauren Southern was there. She, of course, is well-known on Twitter and on YouTube. Canadian conservative libertarian political commentator and provocateur. Uh, she's the author of the book Barbarians, How baby boomers, immigrants and Islam screwed my generation. You can follow her on Twitter at Lauren underscore Southern or on YouTube as Lauren Southern. Uh, Lauren, thanks so much for joining the show. Appreciate it. Hi, Ben. Thanks for having me. So Lauren, can you give me some details? Because I'm, I'm just seeing sort of the, the secondhand coverage. Obviously, You were there. So what exactly went down?
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, we were supposed to – every time there has been a pro-Trump, pro-free speech right-wing event in Berkeley, it has been shut down by militant leftists. And the people there are just so sick and tired of it. So they said, no more, we're not going to live in a world in Berkeley where we cannot – have a certain political idea without fear of being physically injured. So they had an even bigger rally this time. And the police assured myself and the organizers that there would be an impressive presence there, that the left wouldn't be able to shut it down this time. Uh, But it was under one condition that the police would be there, that everyone that went into this protected zone by the police disarmed, that we didn't have any sticks, any bear mace, any pepper spray. So all the Trump supporters went into this kind of Uh, They put up a little mesh orange fence around an area where we were going to have the free speech event. Mm -hmm. And then Antifa showed up and started surrounding the place uh, around a bunch of disarmed people. But we were like, you know, it's going to be fine. The cops are here. We're good. Then Antifa starts throwing M-80s, little explosives and fireworks. And suddenly, boom, the cops were gone. They had gotten stand down orders and we were left in the center of this area surrounded by Antifa, totally disarmed. And things just turned into chaos. It was
0: fists flying everywhere. That's absolutely insane. And did, did you ever get an explanation from the police as to who actually ordered the stand down?
1: Right. Well, that was that's the interesting bit. I was really frustrated during it. And I was like, I can't believe the cops did that. But another journalist went up to the cops and asked them, why are you standing down? And one of the guys sitting in the front seat said, well, that would be a question for our boss, wouldn't it? And he looked really mad. So. It wasn't the individual cops. It was someone from higher yeah. up,
0: for sure. And that's pretty typical. I mean, even when I speak at college campuses and the cops get stand-down orders, never the cops. It's always the people yeah. who are in charge of the cops telling them they need to stand down on this sort of thing. So for people who don't know what Antifa is, you've obviously now had dealings with them. What are Antifa? What do they think they're doing and why are they doing it?
1: They are the anti-fascists. They actually come from a wing of the uh, German Communist Party. And they're a militant group that believe by any means possible, anything that can remotely be perceived as uh, right wing, anything to the right of Marx basically has to be shut down violently. And they use a tactic called black bloc where they cover all of their faces so that they can commit crimes because the cops can't know who did it. And one of the big tactics they used during this one was they would grab individuals from this crowd and they pull them to the back and start beating the crap out of them. So their tactics are always cover their face to commit crimes and 10 people versus one. And it's really kind of, it's really scary going against them because they have zero morals, zero whatsoever. They're hurtling bricks and giant rocks into the crowd. A literal attempted murder would have killed someone if it hit them in the face.
0: So were there any arrests at this thing or, or literally it just sort of ended and everybody went home? At
1: the beginning, there were a couple arrests of Antifa that were trying to go over the mesh and uh, I guess transporters that were trying to fight back. So there were a few at the beginning. And after the fact, when the police had just disappeared, they looked at a few of the videos and made a couple arrests. I think there were 11 or 12 arrests in total.
0: So one of the things that's horrifying about all this is that if you if you look at the media coverage of it, they treat it as though it's just sort of spontaneous chaos that erupts between the two sides, as though nobody actually launched the chaos in the same way that when Milo went to speak at Berkeley and then the Antifa people showed up and tried to burn down buildings, basically, that that was that was in, it was an equal distribution of blame, that it was half Milo's fault and half the protesters fault. And here it's half the Trump people's fault. If the Trump people hadn't been there being so provocative, then it wouldn't have it wouldn't have been up to the Antifa people to, to hit them. Now, what do you make of all the media coverage?
1: BBC actually uploaded one of those little short videos to Facebook where they spliced together the tax protests and this Berkeley protest and it wrote that Trump supporters showed up to the tax protest and started attacking the anti-Trump protesters. They, that's exactly what they did. After I called them out on Twitter, they've made a few edits to the Facebook post. but. That was the coverage, just complete and utter lies. It's beyond fake news. It's deliberately lying to people, and they knew what they were doing. So I, it's it's horrifying, the state of media. It, it, I, I couldn't believe the coverage after the fact.
0: Yeah, I mean, we, we saw that, that, obviously, throughout the campaign. We kept hearing that it was Trump who was pushing violence at his rallies, but then it would be It would be protesters from Black Lives Matter shutting down an actual Trump rally in Chicago or protesters from the left beating the crap out of Trump supporters in San Jose. Uh, It it is amazing how the media is able to to flip this on its head. So are you guys planning any more of these events? And if you do plan these events in the future, how how can you do that knowing that You know, if if anybody from from the pro-Trump side or the pro-free speech side, because it doesn't matter if you like Trump or not, it's really more of a free speech issue. From the pro-free speech side, if anybody shows up with a weapon, you'll probably immediately be arrested. But if anybody from the left shows up with a weapon, then they probably get off scot-free.
1: Well, Ann Coulter is supposed to be speaking on the 27th. I can't get too much into it, but I think there's some troubles already with that event, uh, with Berkeley trying to shut it down. And this is the thing. We're at the point where we have to defend ourselves. I don't like to see that the state of political discourse in 2017 is fists and mace instead of signs and bullhorns. But that's the reality is that we have to defend ourselves. I can't blame the Trump supporters for punching back or the free speech activists for punching back because the cops are gone. So I think this is going to continue to escalate until the police stop getting stand down orders in Berkeley.
0: Yeah. So what, what do you think? Uh, just a final question here. How much of mm-hmm. this do you think are the students at Berkeley and how much is it the Southside group Antifa? Because there's a lot of talk about that with Milo speaking there, that it wasn't really a bunch of the it wasn't really a bunch of lefties from Berkeley. It was really this Antifa group that was coming from outside, infiltrating and then making trouble here. It looks like a bunch of Antifa people. And I spoke at Berkeley two years ago. It was not a problem at all. Obviously, Milo speaks. There is a riot. Ann Coulter is going to speak there. There probably will be a riot. I think it's because Antifa was not a presence when I was there a couple of years ago, and and it seems like a pretty recent development. But how much of this do you think is organic, and how much of this is astroturfed?
1: Well, I will say I I went for a walk around the area before the event, and everywhere in Berkeley, the whole damn city is covered in spray paint that says Antifa Zone. And uh, that could be people that have come in. There were definitely people that were brought in. From different areas to fight. Like the one girl who got decked in the face, she drove down from quite a while uh, to be there. But it's definitely been over the past two years, I would say, these kids also in university have been. Radicalized more and more and more over the media, saying all right wingers are Nazis. Of course, they want to fight and stop Nazism. Was when they've watched Indiana Jones and Glorious Bastards, they want to get their 100 Nazi scalps, right? And they've truly been convinced this last year that Trump supporters and free speech activists are Nazis. So it's a mix between people coming down and between young people being radicalized over this past year.
0: Well, Lauren Southern, thanks so much for doing what you're doing. Lauren Southern, you can follow her at Lauren Southern on Twitter. Uh, it's Lauren underscore Southern or on YouTube is Lauren Sunshester work. Lauren, thanks so much for joining the show. I appreciate thanks it. Thanks for having me. Okay, so before we continue with the analysis of, of what Trump is doing on foreign policy and it's a real mixed bag there. There's a there's a bunch of stuff happening on foreign policy that demonstrate continued divided mind among the members of the Trump administration. I want to stop and say thank you to our sponsors over at Blue Apron. So, if you are sick of eating at oversalted and overpriced restaurants, if you would prefer to eat at home, great recipes that you can home cook, you can spend time cooking with your kids, it's something I enjoy doing with my with my 3-year-old, then what you can do is you can subscribe over at Blue Apron. Blue Apron is is the the number one service in America, fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. And they send you a new recipe every single day with all of the ingredients that are parceled out already for the meal. So you don't have to worry about measuring, you don't have to worry about you screwed up the recipe. It's all done for you. You just put it together in the pan and everything cooks in less than 45 minutes. It is less than $10 a day per person for a delicious meal. And uh, the Blue Apron families obviously cook a lot more than people who are not Blue Apron because it's a hassle to go shopping for all of the ingredients. I remember years ago, my wife suggested, wouldn't it be great if there was a service that did this for you? Now Blue Apron does do it for you. Blueapron.com slash Shapiro and some of their featured upcoming meals. I mean, these are all like gourmet meals. You don't have to be a gourmet to cook them because they tell you exactly what to do. It's stuff like sweet and sour salmon with bok choy, carrot and ginger fried rice, baby broccoli and Fontana paninis with hard boiled egg and a rugula salad, spinach and fresh mozzarella pizza with olives, bell peppers and ricotta salata. If you don't like a recipe, they won't repeat it for you and the recipes rotate all the time so you don't have to get bored with your diet. You know, that's an issue in our house where you have the same thing every Tuesday night and it's like, oh God, not casserole night again. You never have to deal with that again with BlueApron.com. Again, it's fresh, it's flexible, it's easy if the ingredients are bad they'll resend them to you obviously because they guarantee the freshness check out this week's menu get your first 3 meals free when you go to blueaproncom Shapiro, blueaproncom Shapiro. you will love how good it feels and tastes to create these incredible home cooked meals they are first rate everybody in LA is now using blueapron.com so blueaproncom Shapiro. get those first 3 meals free try it out and i promise you'll be addicted really really quickly okay so meanwhile on foreign policy and there's a lot of chaos going on all over the world. And I want to take it kind of area by area because uh, there's a lot of lack of clarity out there on everything from North Korea to Turkey to Iran. So big story of the day is that the Trump administration has now stated that Iran is abiding by its commitments under the, uh, under the Obama nuclear deal. Uh, This is just a terrible move by the Trump administration. It is asinine to suggest that everything is hunky-dory with regard to Iran, that Iran is doing everything that it can to abide by the nuclear deal. They obviously are not. There have been multiple reports that not only are they violating it with regard to attempting to buy certain types of uranium on the open market, but also they have been violating the nuclear deal by test-firing ballistic missiles. They've been doing that repeatedly since November And yet, this is from Rex Tillerson. He says, The U.S. Department of State certified to U.S. House Speaker Paul Ryan today that Iran is compliant through April 18th with its commitments under the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. However, the Secretary also raised concerns about Iran's role as a state sponsor of terrorism and alerted Congress to an effort directed by the President to evaluate whether continuing to lift sanctions would be in U.S. national security interests. They're trying to split the baby, saying everything is hunky-dory under the deal. The easiest thing to do would be to say they're not complying with the deal. Therefore, the sanctions are back on the table. They immediately snap back and we're done here. This deal is a crap deal. There's no reason why we should be involved this way. But I think there is a split inside the Trump administration. They don't want to start some sort of firefight politically with Iran. They are obviously divided on what to do about Iran because Iran is sponsoring Assad and they're divided about what to do about Assad. They're not sure that Iran is is not a solidifying influence in Iraq. This is always my fear about Trumpian foreign policy is that it's just so vague And and so all over the place that it opens the door to the continued growth of evil regimes like Iran. But that's not the only problem with Trump foreign policy that's cropped up this week. I want want to talk about Turkey and North Korea, but we'll do that. If you go and subscribe, go to, over to dailywire.com, become a subscriber to the podcast. $8 a month gets you a subscription to dailywire.com. You get the rest of the show live. You get to be part of the mailbag, which we'll be doing on Friday this week. You get you get Clavin's show live. Uh, you also get right now a free copy of the Arroyo, a fictional film set on the southern border. Plus, we have lots of goodies coming up and we're going to be giving discounts on a bunch of new products that are coming up from the long-awaited Shapiro store, which will happen, dailywired.com. Go over there and check it out. For an annual subscriber, you get that, that copy of the Arroyo DVD. Uh, it is a great service. It's a great movie, uh, and you're going to want to be part of the Daily Wire team. So go over to DailyWire.com, become a subscriber. Otherwise, go over to iTunes or SoundCloud later and become a subscriber. And if you do become a subscriber, make sure to leave a review at iTunes. That always helps in the iTunes rankings where we are. As always, the top-rated conservative podcast in the United States. Okay, so now I want to talk about what's going on in Turkey. So the big story over the weekend, not today, but the big story of the weekend was that there was this, this referendum in Turkey in which 50.8%, 51% of the Turkish population supposedly voted to give Recep Tayyip Erdogan, who is an Islamist dictator, full dictatorial powers. He can't be ousted for another 15 years. He's going to be in there until like 2029 20, or until he dies, whichever comes first. He no longer has to deal with the legislature. He gets to rule by diktat from the top. The experiment, the the greatest experiment in Islamic democracy in the history of humanity has now come to an inglorious end. Uh, It really is quite terrible. Erdogan is a nefarious force in the world. Uh, He has been supporting brutality against the Kurds. He has been supporting brutality uh, against non-Islamist actors inside of of Turkey. He used the attempted coup a few months ago as an excuse to arrest everyone who disagreed with him. And now he has consolidated power in himself. Turkey was always a, a different sort of place. Uh, since Kamil Ataturk decided that it was going to be a secular democracy in an Islamic part of the world. And Erdogan has single-handedly moved it from a secular democracy toward an Islamic dictatorship. And the West has done essentially nothing. Now adding to that nefarious legacy is President Trump. Apparently Trump called Erdogan and congratulated him on a referendum that essentially ended democracy in the oldest Islamic democracy in, in, uh, on planet Earth. Here's Erdogan talking about it. It was
3: very pleasing. He congratulated me for the outcome and we talked about our relationship in the forthcoming period. He shared with me his views uh, about that and about Syria and I had the same opportunity to share my views with him and I said to him especially uh, on the matter of seeing each other. I said now the election is over, it more than, rather than uh, having to do it over the phone, it would be better to have a face-to-face meeting and to uh, take, uh, take forward our relationship and matters about Syria. And we agree that we will have that meeting in due course.
0: So now Trump apparently is going to have some sort of meeting with Erdogan and congratulated him. Erdogan is a really nasty force in, in Turkey. So Trump supposedly is supporting Erdogan because he thinks that Erdogan is going to fight ISIS. Erdogan has not been doing particularly a lot to fight ISIS um, because Turkey is is not in favor of Assad. Turkey doesn't like Assad. Turkey sees Assad as a threat, uh, and they see ISIS in some ways as less of a threat uh, than they see. Then they see the Syrian government. It's 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 all a mess over there, and Erdogan adds to that mess. This is a bad move by the Trump administration. Uh, it would have been much better. I mean, it's really unfortunate the coup failed a couple uh, a few months back. That would have been much better for the country if there had been a secular government in place. Now Turkey is a member of NATO. What happens when an Islamist country like Turkey decides that they're going to go to war with a, with a non-aggressive Kurdish population, or let's say that there's an attack on Turkey uh, by some sort of rebel group that doesn't like living under an Islamist dictatorship, under the NATO charter, we are required to protect NATO members from foreign threat. So, what if it's a, what if it's a foreign government that's sponsoring that threat? It creates all sorts of horrible scenarios in the mind. Uh, just bad news there. So, bad on Iran, bad on Turkey. So, that's bad on foreign policy on that stuff uh, this week. And then on North Korea, We've sort of seen some mixed signals on North Korea. So on the one hand, President Trump's language about North Korea has been quite militant. Here's what Trump had to say about North Korea yesterday.
2: I had a, a quick moment to ask the president what his message was for North Korea uh, and that uh, communist country's dictator, uh, Kim Jong-un, and here's what the president had to say. Any message for North Korea, sir, Kim Jong-un? Can't behave. Mr. President, do you think North Korea can be resolved peacefully, sir? What are your thoughts on Kim Jong-un? Probably it can. So
0: you behave, heard the president there, right. will say that... They- he's, saying, he's saying to the fat boy, Kim Jong-un, uh, that he needs to behave. And then Mike Pence says something similar. He says, we're going to ensure security in the region. We're going to stop their development of nuclear and uh, thermonuclear and, and, and ballistic missile capacity.
1: There are estimates that North Korea could have a missile ready that could hit the continental U.S., Seattle, by 2020, which is going to be on your watch. I mean, is that weighing on you, and is that a deadline that you all have in mind?
5: I know the President of the United States has no higher priority than the safety and security of the American people. Uh, The presence of U.S. forces uh, here in South Korea, our longstanding commitment... To the Asian Pacific uh, and ensuring the security of the continental United States will remain the priority of this administration. but look, we want to be clear our 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 hope uh, and frankly our prayer is that by marshaling uh, the the resources of nations across the Asian Pacific, not just South Korea and Japan, other allies and China, to bring renewed pressure to bear we'll achieve our goal of a nuclear-free Korean peninsula. But the people in North Korea should, should make no mistake that the United States of America and our allies will see to the security of this region and see to the security of the people of our country.
0: Okay, so, you know, there was a mixed signal that was sent last week because Trump said that we had sent the USS Carl Vincent, which is an aircraft carrier, into the Sea of Japan in order to sort of threaten the the North Koreans. That apparently never happened. Instead, it went to do an exercise with the Australian Navy. It sailed in the opposite direction. So there are some people in South Korea who are very upset about that. North Korea is an intractable problem, and there is a danger. You know, the easy solution is to say, OK, let, let China take care of it. And that's sort of what the Trump administration is doing. We'll pressure them. They'll take care of it. China has no interest in getting rid of the Kim regime in North Korea, nor do they have an interest in disarming the Kim regime, because the only reason the Kim regime continues to be in place is because they have a nuclear weapon. Now, this isn't on Trump. OK, the fact is that this has been an intractable situation since 2006 when North Korea actually tested its first nuclear bomb. And it really more is on Bill Clinton. I think one of the great ironies here is that there's a ridiculous tweet that came out from Ben Rhodes, who's the national security adviser under Obama, in which he said that the Iran nuclear deal is great, is, is, the North Korea situation is great evidence that the Iran nuclear deal would have been great in North Korea. Okay, you know how ignorant you have to be to say this? The North Korea nuclear deal that was cut by the Clinton administration in 1994 was the direct corollary to the Iran nuclear deal that we currently cut. In fact, here was Bill Clinton in 1994 talking specifically about how he had achieved the disarmament of North Korea for the foreseeable future.
2: Before I take your questions, I'd like to say just a word about the framework with North Korea that Ambassador Gallucci signed this morning. This is a good deal for the United States. North Korea will freeze and then dismantle its nuclear program. South Korea and our other allies will be better protected. The entire world will be safer as we slow the spread of nuclear weapons. South Korea, with support from Japan and other nations, will bear most of the cost of providing North Korea with fuel to make up for the nuclear energy it is losing. And they will pay for an alternative power system for North Korea that will allow them to produce electricity while making it much harder for them to produce nuclear weapons. The United States and international inspectors will carefully monitor North Korea to make sure it keeps its commitments. Only as it does so will North Korea fully join the community of nations. And then
0: Bill Clinton sent Madeleine Albright to give a signed basketball by Michael Jordan to Kim Jong-il. Seriously, that actually happened. So, you know, is that does that sound exactly like the Iran deal? It is precisely what the Iran deal is. We will help you develop your nuclear capacity so long as it's peaceful. We'll have weapons inspectors. Everything's going to be hunky-dory. We've brought you into the family of nations. This is the stupidity of the Democrats thinking the Iran deal is going to go any different than the North Korea deal. And the Trump administration should take note and they should get out of this Iran deal as soon as possible because otherwise they're facilitating a significantly more dangerous situation in the North Korea. North Korea is still answerable to South Korea, which could wipe them off the mat in a heartbeat. They're still answerable to China, which has no interest in actually starting a regional war. Uh, the, Iran is answerable to nobody. They're a rogue state. And once they have nuclear weapons, they work with terrorist groups. So it just demonstrates that the Trump administration should do something in the places where they can do something. As far as what they can do with North Korea right now, there is a danger in delegating this to the Chinese. We should be applying significantly more pressure to the Chinese than we currently are. If there is any tool in our arsenal to apply pressure to the Chinese to oust the Kim regime and replace it with even a, a just as dictatorial, uh, awful regime that, that does not develop nuclear weapons but is more rational. Uh, that would be a step in the right direction. The reason it's intractable is because there are 20,000 uh, artillery pieces that are now aimed at Seoul. South Korea, there are 15 million people living in and around the area of Seoul. Uh, If the United States or South Korea were to launch a preemptive strike on North Korea or a retaliatory strike, uh, there is every possibility that Kim because he needs to do this in order to maintain his regime, would immediately fire into Seoul, killing an enormous number of people, even if if the West then wiped North Korea off the map. And you assume that China, which wants to establish its buffer zone, would then get involved in a war. So if World War III gets started in this way, that is because that's a legacy of Bill Clinton and a Western world that failed to act when they had the opportunity to act. They should not make the same mistake with regard to Iran, but it seems like they are going to. Meanwhile... President Trump is back on the stump. This is where he likes to be. He was speaking in Wisconsin, trying to shore up that base again. Uh, and he's talking about economics. And his shtick on economics continues to be flawed. This is the big problem with, with Trump. Again, it's a lot of good and it's a lot of bad, and they're both wrapped up in one big package. And I'm trying to call it like I see it in terms of when he's doing good and when he's doing bad. You know, at a time when Turkey is is threatening the integrity of NATO, at a time when Vladimir Putin is threatening NATO from the outside— Trump going to Wisconsin and still whining about NATO just seems like not a particularly smart move, but that's exactly what he's doing.
4: And you know where he is? He's with NATO. And so he has a good excuse. I said, Ron, make sure these countries start paying their bills a little bit more. You know, they're way, way behind, Ron. We have to do, I'm going to talk to you about that, Ron. But Paul, you're over with NATO, get them to pay their bills. I think that, and Ron, you have to work on that too. And Scott. You're right here in Wisconsin. You don't have to bother. We'll keep you right here.
0: Okay, so now he's telling Paul Ryan that he should go over and tell NATO to pay its bills. This is one of the stupider talking points of the Trump administration. It always was a dumb talking point, this idea that the integrity of NATO relies on on Latvia spending 2% of its GDP on NATO. The fact is that countries in NATO... It's the mutual defense pact that matters. It's really not as much what they pledge to spend on their military spending, because the fact is the United States will always be the most powerful military there. I suppose it's a sign of good faith that matters. But in terms of actual practical policy, it's not a big thing. If Trump wants to assert this kind of leverage, he shouldn't be doing it openly. It harms the integrity of NATO in the eyes of the Russians. Uh, What he should be doing is going behind the scenes and saying, look, guys, you really need to pay up your fair share. He shouldn't be doing it publicly. Then Trump went on and he's threatening Canada over NAFTA. Again, I don't know. I guess that... He's trying to demonstrate good faith with his base because he was ripping on NAFTA so much during the campaign uh, and because he's broken so many promises in the last couple of weeks. Uh, but this is still we're sort of getting the worst of Trump in terms of policy uh, a little bit this week. We're getting the, the isolationist bent in policy a little bit more than we were in the last couple of weeks. And we're getting the and we're getting the big government anti free trade stuff from Trump on domestic policy this week. Uh, none of it is, is particularly encouraging. Here's Trump threatening Canada over NAFTA.
4: We're also going to stand up for our dairy farmers in Wisconsin.
0: And I've been reading about
4: it, and I've been talking about it for a long time. And that demands really immediately fair trade with all of our trading partners. And that includes Canada, because in Canada, some very unfair things have happened to our dairy farmers and others and we're going to start working on that with Ron and with Scott
0: again he's and threatening with- he's threatening Canada now that they're they're ruining everything for the dairy farmers this is democratic politics 101 that if you want to pander to a particular group you threaten somebody else he he introduced his what he called his higher american buy american shtick yesterday uh, and here's what he had to say yesterday about higher american buy american I'll explain why it sounds good in theory but is really dumb in practice
4: In short, this order declares that American projects should be made with American goods. No longer are we going to allow foreign countries to cheat our producers and our workers out of federal contracts. Everyone in my administration will be expected to enforce every last Buy American provision on behalf of the American worker. And we are going to investigate every single trade deal that undermines these provisions. Secondly, we are going to enforce the higher American rules that are designed to protect jobs and wages of workers in the United States. We believe jobs must be offered to American workers first. Does that make sense?
0: No, actually, it doesn't make sense. There are a couple reasons it doesn't make sense. So first of all, his Buy American shtick, not with my dime you don't, Okay, if you can get a cheaper product that is better from a foreign producer to make a pipeline, for example, the Keystone XL pipeline, then why should I have to pay more in order to subsidize a particular industry in which I have no interest? all you're doing is you're going to have to raise my taxes or raise borrowing in order to spend. I mean, that's just that's just foolishness. If U.S. companies want to compete, let them compete. As far as this idea that we are going to shut down H-1BV, says this is something that Trump and Jeff Sessions have been hot on for a long time, Ann Coulter, too. Uh, you, you can go back and look. I did, an, I did an hour-long interview with Ann Coulter for C-SPAN on, on her book on immigration, Adios America, and this was a point of differentiation. I agree with a lot of her book, but, her, but when it comes to the idea that we're supposed to shut out high-tech workers who are coming in with a job, but they're not coming in to take advantage of welfare. They're coming in to produce and pay taxes in the United States at the same rates as Americans. And they're coming in to do that with a job already guaranteed and for a lower price, No, I disagree with the general proposition that we have to force American companies to hire Americans when they could get somebody else cheaper working in America. If you do that, they're just going to outsource. They're just going to locate a branch offshore, and then they're going to hire everybody anyway there, or they're going to let somebody work online in China, and they're going to have a manager in the United States. This is really dumb policy. But it's, again, policy that is pandering to a particular base, and Trump is going back to the pandering. And this goes to my theory from last week, which is that Trump is more responding to applause than he is responding to any sort of deliberate worldview here. Trump has always felt that economics is a zero-sum game, so this is actually closer to his worldview than his foreign policy. But the reason he's out on the road bringing out these stump speech lines again is because— he wants the applause and he's having trouble getting it because he hasn't actually done anything in his first hundred days legislatively. doesn't mean he hasn't been successful on the executive order side. He has. doesn't mean he hasn't been successful in certain ways on the foreign policy side. He has. It does mean that he doesn't have any signature legislative achievements to push. His first legislative push for the repeal of of Obamacare was a complete fail, and so now he's out there basically trying to rally the troops. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. So, Things that I like. Uh, I've been reading this book on game theory called *The Art of Strategy* by Avinash Dixit and Barry Nailbuff, uh, and it is quite a good book. Um, it's it's something where you're going to want a pad of paper and a pencil because they have you actually game some stuff out. Um, but it is cool because the study of game theory is just a better way of making decisions. It's stuff that you sort of intuit having dealt with other people, but it it mathematizes it to a certain extent, makes it more regular. So. You know, the, the, the obvious example in game theory that everybody always talks about, and this is sort of game theory 101, is, is the prisoner's dilemma that there are situations in life where you and somebody else have to act in tandem at the same time but you can be divided from one another by being told that the person is going to defect so the reason they call it a prisoner's dilemma is you have two people who are criminals and they're both in separate interrogation rooms and the cop goes to one and says, your buddy just confessed if you confess, then I will make sure that you get a lower sentence, but if you don't confess, then you're going to get a higher sentence and your Nobody's going to get off scot-free. If neither of you confesses, you're both going to go to jail for uh, for a certain amount of time. If you both confess, then you will. Then you know you will. You, you want to be the first one to confess. In other words, the idea is that if you're the first one to confess, then you get off scot-free, and so you end up with what they call the prisoner's dilemma, the worst available situation. You both confess and you both go to jail. Whereas. The, the, that, that is the second-to-worst dilemma. The, the worst thing that can happen is you don't confess, your buddy confesses, and your accomplice is, and then you go to jail for a super long period of time, your buddy gets off scot-free. The second worst situation is you both confess, and you both get a slightly lesser sentence, but you still get a really long sentence. The best situation is neither of you confesses, and neither of you goes to jail. That's the prisoner's dilemma, and game theory suggests that you will always end up in the box where you both confess because you don't want to, you want to avoid the worst situation. So you end up going with the second worst situation. So you both confess and you both end up in jail unless you have some sort of pre-calculated agreement not to do that. So game theory is a good way of looking at foreign policy. It's a good way of looking at what's happening in North Korea right now. I have a, I have a a off the wall kooky theory about North Korea's launch. They tried to launch a a ballistic missile uh, over the weekend and it blew up on the tarmac. Basically Uh, the, the, my theory is that – and this is admittedly off-the-wall, evidence theory – is that China and North Korea deliberately decided that they were going to essentially self-sabotage. There's a lot of talk about the United States doing it, but it is quite possible that – look, it's not in Kim's interest right now to draw actual military fire from the United States because it undermines him. It's also not in his interest to back down and not fire anything. So it's possible that the best possible solution for him is to demonstrate willingness to fire something, but it fails so the United States doesn't have to hit him. And that, that actually is a possibility – you know, maybe that's conspiratorial, maybe it's not, uh, but it's uh, but it's worth considering. In any case, that doesn't have that much to do with the book, except that it just goes to motivation of how people act in political scenarios. And uh, and the book is is uh, very readable. So, the art of strategy: a game theorist guide to success in business and life. Good book. Okay, other things. Okay, time for um, some things that I hate. Let's do it. So, in the last couple of days, there was a shooting in Fresno. Three people were killed. It was a black guy who did the shootings, and he killed uh, three white people. Apparently, his name was Corey uh, Corey Ali Muhammad, a member of the Religion of Peace. He targeted his victims, they say, solely because they were white, even though when he was arrested, he said, Allahu Akbar. So Fresno Police Chief Jerry Dyer said this was solely based on race. It had nothing to do with terrorism in spite of the statement he made. First of all, I'd like to point out that if a white person shot black people and it was solely based on race, they would call it terrorism. When there was a similar situation with Dylan Stormroof shooting up a bunch of black people and murdering them in a church, that was terrorism. Racial terrorism is still terrorism. It doesn't become not terrorism just because it's racial. But second of all, when you say Allahu Akbar, that should demonstrate that you may have some other motives here. So apparently, Muhammad walked up to a utility truck and shot a Pacific Gas and Electric Company employee sitting in the passenger seat. The worker, a 34-year-old white man, died. He then shot another person and missed. He aimed at a third, killing a 37-year-old on the sidewalk as he walked to the bag of groceries. The final victim, at 58, was gunned down in the parking lot of a charity building. Apparently he spared the lives of a couple of women who were in the car with a child. The women were Latina. So he uh, apparently on several occasions in his, fa- in his Facebook had included the phrase Allahu Akbar, meaning God is, is great in Arabic. What's amazing is the AP, here's what the AP tweeted about this, and this is another one of the things I hate. The AP tweeted, quote, Fresno police say suspect in triple slang told them he hates white people shouted God is great before killings. Do you notice a problem with this particular blurb? He didn't shout God is great. He shouted Allahu Akbar. Okay, there is a difference. God is great. You might think that it was some, you know, crazy person who likes Jesus who decided to shoot people. God is great is not the same thing as Allahu Akbar. First of all, there's significant doubt as to whether Allah is in fact the same as the Judeo-Christian God. That is a really questionable assertion uh, based on religious practice. But for a media outlet to say that, it's like translating. If someone had said Christ is king and then shot a bunch of people and then they had said, and then they, they translated that to God is great so that they wouldn't implicate Christians or translated it to Allahu Akbar in the Arabic press. That would be asinine. It's just as asinine here. AP retracted it and then reissued it later, like a day later as well. They should have. Um, OK, so we will be back here tomorrow. There will be a lot more to talk about. Uh, and uh, we are also having on another person who is at this uh, Berkeley uh, at this Berkeley um, firefight, basically, um, Remind me, Emily, what is what is this person's name? His name is Kyle Chapman. Kyle Chapman. He's also known as Base Stickman. Uh, Base ba- Stickman, okay, so I've heard of him. So, he, so he'll be coming on tomorrow to give us the update. He was part of the actual fighting, and uh, so we'll talk to him about how that went and what his plans are for the future here. Uh, also, we're going to be doing a Reddit AMA in just a couple of hours here, so you want to head over to Reddit at noon, and we'll be uh, parting it up. If you have any specific questions, check it out. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. <coughs>